This talk is offered by Ordinary Mind Zendo. Ordinary Mind was founded by Barry Magid, Dharma heir of Charlotte Joko Beck, and is dedicated to her vision of a psychologically minded Zen practice adapted to the needs of American students practicing in the context of their everyday lives. Our public programs are made possible by donations from people like you. In the transmission of the lamp, there's a story of a 14-year-old novice monk who approaches the third patriarch and beseeches him. Master, out of your deep compassion, please open the gate of emancipation for me. And the master replies, Who has you enslaved? And the boy says, No one. And the master says, Then why do you need emancipation? This being the transmission of the lamp, uh, the boy obtains great enlightenment. Uh, and goes on to be the fourth patriarch. Now when we read a story like that, I think we can ask a lot of very different kinds of questions about just what kind of emancipation, what kind of bondage, enslavement, are we talking about? What was tormenting him? What was he freed of? What did his great enlightenment consist of? If you imagine the life of a 14-year-old novice monk a thousand years ago in China, there are probably all sorts of ways in which his life is very literally constrained politically, economically, culturally. And if you uh, retold the story and made it a 14-year-old girl, a novice nun, it would really be obvious all the ways in which she was uh, in need of emancipation. And yet none of those factors are um, at play in this kind of dialogue. Uh, there's a way in which that level of constraint or conditioning is bypassed in this kind of story, which is both its uh, virtue and its problem. Uh, We should always be a little wary of stories of emancipation that can totally bypass all those kinds of conditions. That kind of question and answer, uh, I think, reoccurs in a lot of forms in a lot of traditions. I believe there's a similar saying in uh, Lao Tzu, and it would be very at home uh, in the writings of Epictetus or other Stoic or Hellenistic philosophers. Uh, 
in those kinds of contexts, um, what we would be talking about is a kind of absolute inner freedom, regardless of external circumstance. Uh, the Stoics would speak about learning the difference between what is outside and out of your control and what's inside and under your control and learning to master your internal world so that you have the freedom that no one can take away to assent or say no to some internal state. Uh, Do I want this? Do I need that? Do I have this belief or that belief? Uh, That level of freedom, uh, in Stoic philosophy at least, is the kind of thing that can never be taken away from you. It's a picture of freedom that goes along with freedom as self-mastery. So that we learn not to be buffeted about by our desire for uncontrollable things from the outside. Um, Material goods, the opinions of others, all the way up to health and illness and mortality. Now, self-mastery is a large part of Buddhist and monastic practice as well, but it's the it's a side that, in a way, we would say tends to get taken for granted within the realm of um, training. We learn to sit still. Uh, we don't let ourselves be buffeted around by momentary notions of comfort or discomfort and so forth. And in different uh, meditative disciplines, there is a um, there are varying degrees of how self mastery is viewed in terms of thought and feeling. Uh, whether we use practice to form the ability to have one pointed concentration. It's not to be buffeted around by monkey mind thought. Or what our relation to desire is going to be. Now if you think of, you know, in this story... For this 14-year-old boy to ask the question with enough personal intensity that the answer actually transforms him, you know, he must have, in some sense, been 
deeply troubled by a, by some sense of being enslaved, presumably uh, by his own thought and desire. And even though this is long ago and far away, one can imagine what most 14-year-old boys are preoccupied with. (laughs) I don't know that that has changed that much. (laughs) And it's interesting that at that phase of life, we're first confronted with this whole dilemma of self-mastery versus self-acceptance, right? What does a 14-year-old boy do with sexual desire, fantasy? What does a teenager do with that kind of compulsive desire to just masturbate all the time, right? the first lesson you know a lot of people get in mastery versus acceptance right and that's part of the dilemma of this kind of version of uh, what what counts as emancipation what counts as bondage Uh, do you want to get absolute control over your desire and behavior or do you want to have freedom from judgment on it? Do you want to be free from constantly judging yourself as good or bad, uh, constantly imposing a sense of guilt or shame on yourself for having these feelings? Or do you want to make sure you control yourself so that uh, you're blameless? Now, the kind of emancipation that happens in this kind of koan, you could say is similar to what happens in the, the story of Bodhidharma, and the, the, first, you know, the second patriarch, where he comes and says, uh, Master, my not, mind is not at peace. Put it, please put it at peace for me. Bodhidharma says, bring me your mind. I'll put it in peace for you. Second patriarch, you know, to be says, I've looked everywhere, I can't find my mind. Bodhidharma says, I have put it in peace for you. (laughs) Even though in both cases there seems to be something a little too easy about this. (laughs) Um, there is a, we have to try to imagine what is the level of um, deep acceptance there that is taking place. Uh, And what I think has to happen uh, in that story of Bodhidharma, the story of the fourth patriarch, is that the whole dichotomy between bondage and emancipation, between my mind being at peace or not being at peace, dissolves. Suddenly it's a complete non-issue. 
in general, the, the tendency towards self-mastery brings us down on one side of that dichotomy, but keeps the dichotomy intact. Uh, we're able to achieve something like peace of mind through controlling our mind. Uh, we, could, we achieve a certain kind of peace by being able to master or control our behavior under a lot of circumstances. See, and that's something that certainly Zen students can get very good at, you know. They can sit a long time in heat, in cold, in pain, with or without sleep, right? Under all sorts of conditions. In a certain way, they're training themselves to see that externals, external differences don't make that big a difference, right? I'll let myself be hot, I'll let myself be cold. I'll sit tired, I'll sit, sit awake. Whatever it is, I'll just face that and feel it, right? But it's a fine line there between I can stand anything, you know, which is a kind of mastery of toughness, and a kind of wide-open acceptance. Uh, See, I think that the deep emancipation of these koans really is an experience of the emptiness of the categories of all the choices that we make between good and bad, at peace or not at peace, right? When it just doesn't matter at all what the state of our mind is, right? For our mind to be truly at peace, in that sense of bodhidharmas, our mind is inseparable from everything happening in the whole world, There's no boundary. There's no way to control it. There's no sense of, I finally got it into one state. I've practiced all this time and now it's really calm and clear and just the way I like it, I'm going to keep it this way, right? That's the practice of mastery, right? And we can, we can do that up to a point, but that's not really what this is talking about. <coughs> Uh, but we really long for the mastery side most of the time. (laughs) (laughs) Now, these two have to be in some kind of dialectic in our life or in our practice. Um, If you have just mastery without deep self-acceptance, you're always at war with yourself. You're winning the war, but the war never ends. (laughs) (laughs) The other side, though, if you've got deep self-acceptance without mastery, is then you've got a kind of um, complete self-indulgence that is sort of, you know, to be fine, except for the fact that there are other people. <laughs> and that there's all sorts of karma and consequence in the world if um, self-acceptance is just the same as self-indulgence, right? 
And this will play out in all sorts of ways that are, don't have to look um, particularly spiritual. Uh, anybody who's ever uh, thought about their weight or their diet knows how you can get stuck between these two poles of mastery versus acceptance, right? Are you endlessly trying to control yourself, fight yourself, fight your appetite? Or do you want to just say, well, this is the way I am, right? What's one more pint of ice cream in the the scheme of things, right? (laughs) So in a way, we each have to see where... um, which ditch we tend to fall into, uh, the one of uh, excessive mastery or excessive acceptance. The middle way goes down the middle. We have to establish both sides, but our practice really has to come down the middle.